I'm Dr. Lara Devgan. I'm a plastic surgeon in New York City, the CEO of Scientific Beauty, and of course, a major beauty enthusiast. You are listening to Beauty Bosses, where we chat with fellow industry leaders who are shaping beauty, fashion, wellness, and all things pretty. Welcome to this fabulous episode of Beauty Bosses. Today we have the amazing Bryce Scarlett, celebrity hairstylist and hair guru to the stars on our show. Many of you guys will know Bryce's work because he's styled Natalie Portman, Gigi Hadid, Lily Aldridge, and some of the most beautiful faces around Hollywood, New York, and the world. I'm so pleased to be speaking with you today, Bryce. Um, So we are calling in, you're in California right now, correct? Yeah, in Los Angeles. Okay, great. And I'm here in New York, and we're doing a virtual podcast. So um, this is uh, a really exciting episode of Beauty Bosses because you are everybody's favorite celebrity hair guru. Um, (laughs) So for those, (laughs) yeah, so (laughs) for those of our listeners who are not familiar with your work, um, I'm just going to explain a little bit about who you are. So um, we're talking today with Bryce Scarlett, who is responsible for some of the most fabulous names in Hollywood and all over the place. Um, You've styled and done all sorts of wondrous things to the hair of some of the most beautiful and talented people in the world. And I'm so excited to be speaking with you. So thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be speaking with you as well. I've listened to multiple podcasts and I love them. Okay, awesome. Well, so Bryce, I wanted to start by asking you to tell us a little bit about your journey. So how did you get started in the business of hair? Well, I was born and raised in San Diego, California. My mom was a hairstylist. So when I was, when my mom got pregnant with me, she owned a salon. And when she found out she was pregnant, she sold it. And my, the, they just moved into what became our childhood home. And there was a guest house. And my dad remodeled the guest house to be a tiny little, like, one-person salon. And so from basically birth till about 13, we lived in that house. And I quite literally grew up on the floor of a hair salon. That um, is so amazing. So some of your early yeah. childhood memories were, like, seeing the the behind-the-scenes of Absolutely. hair. Absolutely. The, the sounds of a blow-dryer and the smells of hair products <laughs> have been around and me what, for a very long time. What were your thoughts when you were a kid? Was it something that was interesting and attractive to you, or was it something that you thought, like, oh, no, I don't oh, want no, to Oh, no, I was around. fascinated. Um, I think more than anything, I don't think I... I did enjoy the the concept of hair from a very young age, but more than anything, I was at that age, I was really just fascinated by women and just beauty in general. And I was, I was definitely the kind of kid who um, didn't necessarily excel with my peers. I was better with adults. I was always just kind of like sitting on a couch in the salon, like talking to grown women <laughs> um, <laughs> at the age of like six, seven years old. Um, it also allowed me to have access to a surplus of fashion magazines always. 
because my mom would keep the salon full of everything, Vogue, Vanity Fair, Elle. Um, so the works, all I, the good ones. Yeah, so I was kind of always surrounded by those and always flipping through them, and they kind of, that started the inspiring more than just hair itself. I was always so, very obsessed with clothes as well. and That whole world of fashion yeah. and beauty. So at what age did you realize that this was going to be a calling for you in terms of, you know, the transition from being interested, seeing your mom do it, um, and, you know, transitioning from that into doing it yourself? I... I was always interested um, to an extent. I sometime during high school, I started doing hair for like high school theater productions, just kind of as a, I was really, I was interested in theater and helping out already. And then it kind of became a noticeable vacancy all of a sudden. I just realized that no one was doing it. And I kind of watched a girl one night kind of struggle with it and just thought like, I think I could do a better job than she's doing and just kind of offered. And that turned into me kind of doing hair for theater productions for the last probably three years of high school. Um, It wasn't truly until I realized that this form of the industry that I work in now being freelance existed because I never really loved the environment of a salon, even though I grew up in one and it was great. I just, I never really pictured that for myself um, so it wasn't until towards the end of high school when I started to catch wind that this other form of doing hair existed that I really started to feel a picture a path for myself. Um, and around the end of high school, I basically petered between going to design school or hair school and hair school was a lot less expensive and a lot easier to access. So I just figured that would be the first thing I'd try and I'd see what happened. Um, wow. And I, then it obviously out for you. <laughs> Thus far, <laughs> it has worked out. Um, so how parents, was your experience in hair school? What was that like? Um, I my, I was very lucky. My parents made sure I went to the best school. I went to Vidal Sassoon in Los Angeles. Um, oh, yeah. That's an amazing program. Which was, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of known as the the, the best program, I think. I mean, I'm biased. Yeah, and for for our listeners who are uninitiated um, to the world of hair, the Vidal Sassoon Institute in L.A. is kind of um, amongst a lot of different communities regarded as kind of the preeminent place to learn everything about human hair. Is, it's is, is it's that definitely right? the yeah. strongest program as far as hair cutting. That was mm-hmm. Vidal Sassoon started in London in the 60s. He created the he created the wash and wear haircut and that's kind of always been that school and that company's mentality. And it is definitely the best place to go to become a strong cutter. Um, which was interesting for me because I was mostly passionate about styling hair and their mentality mm-hmm. is not really to style hair. You cut haircuts that are so strong that you don't really have to do much to them. Um, which in the long run was really good for me because it gave me a totally different perspective and pushed me out of my comfort zones. Um, but I definitely had phases in school where I was a little like frustrated because it didn't seem like what I thought I wanted to do. Um, but it was great. I did that for a year and then I got my first job, um, as an assistant 
went uh, right out of school in Los Angeles. Um, I, again, I got really lucky. I, my first day of moving, I, I had taken a month or two off after school and then moved back to LA. And the first morning I got back to LA, I was to start interviewing for jobs. And I opened an issue of Allure and Allure does their best of beauty all the time. They're the top rated salons for different things. And I opened it up and the first thing I saw was the top rated salons in LA and it was a list. And the number one salon was this place called Neil George. And I said to a friend of mine, that's like exactly where I want to work. That would be like the best possible option. And that night I got an email from a girl I'd gone to beauty school with asking if I would come in the next day and interview at that salon with the man who owned it, um, which was just a complete coincidence. <laughs> and so that you were probably feeling pretty amazing about life at that point. And then yeah, you I went in the next morning and it was, his name was Neil Weisberg. Um, he was, a, is a lovely British man and he gave me the job on the spot and I worked there for two and a half years as an assistant. I also worked with um, a really well-known colorist there named Tracy Cunningham. Um, and so kind of between Neil and Tracy, they really molded me and did so much for me while I was there as an assistant. And then um, after about two, two and a half years, I, I knew I wanted to move to New York and start being freelance. And uh, they both helped me a lot in doing that. That's amazing. Let's talk a little bit about that transition because you were alluding to that before when you were saying that you loved hair, but you didn't like the idea of being stuck in the salon. Um, How, how, how does it work from a business standpoint in terms of transitioning from what I presume is a more stable paycheck working environment in the salon versus the kind of wide world of being a freelance hair um, artist? It's it's a rough transition. It's um, my dad thought I was absolutely crazy because um, <laughs> I was doing for for an assistant and a kid my age at the time. I was 21 when I moved to New York. I was doing great in LA um, and I was making great money. And I moved to New York with a little bit in the bank and really jumped off a cliff, um, which in retrospect was the best thing I ever did. Um. But what gave rough, you the courage to do that? You know what? I often say, I don't think it was courage. I think it was naivety. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of just good old-fashioned faith. And I don't know. I it, I always talk about how I look back on that time, and I'm so grateful I did what I did at that age. Because had I stayed another year, another two years, it just would have gotten harder and harder, and I would have never left. Um, you get more and more comfortable. And the older we get, the yeah. harder it is to make I feel those like big that's jumps. such a that's such an interesting point because I do think there is that effect of you know you know that term golden handcuffs where yeah, you exactly. start to get really comfortable and you rise the ranks of a certain job and it may not be your true calling and passion, but you get chained. And um so I've heard, you know, in interviewing a lot of different entrepreneurs and people in the beauty business, um, I've heard a lot of people talk about a kind of liberating moment when they broke the golden handcuffs. Yeah. Um, and I, I got to New York and, uh, I started assisting a man named Franco Gobi, who's a incredible freelance, uh, editorial session hairstylist. He's Italian. I spent kind of probably 
three and a half to four years working with him um, and a few other people and slowly doing my own thing on the side. And eventually that transitioned into me being just on my own freelancing. And I, I signed with my first agent um, draft after I left Franco. Amazing. So you are known as kind of the hair whiz behind some of the most beautiful women in the world. Um, can you tell us a little bit about some of your favorite um, A-listers who you styled and kind of some of your favorites in terms of who has the greatest hair and the most fun hair to cut and color and style and all of that? Um, I mean, I've been, I've been so lucky. I've had, I have some amazing relationships. Um, I mean, I'll start with the, the first couple girls that really like, gave me my start and trusted me when I was had not much behind me um, was Lily Aldrich, an amazing uh, model. I met with, I met her through Tracy Cunningham, actually the colorist. Um, she was really the first person of note to ever push for me to get out a job and to use me for things. And I still work with her today and she's one of my closest friends. Um, I then, uh, started working with a handful of other models after that. I got kind of my start and transition there came from a really interesting place of models who were famous enough on their own right that they started to, especially with social media, have the control to choose who was doing their hair and makeup on jobs, which mm-hmm. was not the case 10, 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started working with Lily, um, Ann V, Carolina Krakova, Kate Upton. Um, these were the girls that really like started me. And for a few years, that was kind of what I was known for was working with these models that were famous on social media and famous outside of that sports illustrated, Victoria's secret, that stuff. Um, I then, I would say my first big actress that I got a relationship with after that was Natalie Portman. Um, I got a really lucky break that she needed someone to go to the Cannes Film Festival with her um, mm-hmm. at kind of the last minute, and I got to go, and I've been working with her ever since. That was about three years ago. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. And then um, somewhere in there, somewhere around the same time as Natalie, I started working with Gigi Hadid, who also has done so much for me, and I adore. Um. And then as of late, the most recent stuff has been uh, Margot Robbie for the last, I mean, I've known Margot for about almost coming up on two years, but I've, the last nine months basically have been with just her doing her Oscar run and I, all the Itania press and everything since last September. Um, and she, that's been a, a career highlight. No question. We've had such an amazing time. She's an absolutely incredible person and, We've traveled the world. <laughs> that's so amazing. So it, that that's kind of every young stylist's dream to be able to um, work with that caliber of A-list celebrity model, actor, actress type of person. Um, yeah. How did you get your sort of first lucky break with Lily, which sounds like it sounds like that lucky break catapulted into everything else? Yeah, I mean, it's it it really stems back to that first lucky break I got getting that job at Neil George because on day one I 
met Tracy Cunningham, um, the colorist I keep speaking of, and she and I became very close and brought me so much opportunity. And I, I worked with her for quite some time. And Lily happens to be her goddaughter. Oh, so amazing. That is how I met Lily. And when I there moved to New go. York, Lily was living in New York working as a model and she started using me. That's great. So, you know, when when I think about hair, I think of it, and this may be wrong, so feel free to jump in and correct me and tell me how you how I should be thinking about it. But I think of hair in terms of cutting, coloring, and styling. And um, I would love to hear your professional thoughts on the relative importance of those three things and how you bring them together. I mean, they're all three so important individually that I only do one of them. <laughs> um, I, I obviously, I do cut hair, but um, only for my like select small list of clients, really. And 98% of what I do is just styling. Um, I outsource everything. I'm such a huge believer in... Um, I believe so much that you should know what you're great at and excel at it and make it your priority and things that you rightfully know someone else is absolutely great at and or better than you at. I, I have, I try to have no ego about those kinds of things. If I, if someone wants a haircut that is outside of my wheelhouse, I'm so quick to recommend a friend of mine who I know does that so well and color like I don't do color at all and I have a handful of friends who are incredible and I recommend all of them and it's a really I really like that actually because it's in an era where sometimes you see people who are kind of a master of all things and certainly there are people who can do that um, I think that there's a lot of value in really focusing on the few niche things that you can be absolutely expert in. And even in medicine, like in my profession in plastic surgery, um, I, I sometimes joke with my patients that I have good outcomes because I only do the things that, you know, I only make bets I know I'm going to win. <laughs> and exactly. I only do the things that I know I really am great at and everything else. There are a lot of other really great people out there. So I love that idea of it's almost a form of, strength to understand that humility. I I like to think so. And I hope I like to think that it builds my trust with my clients even more because they know that about me and they know that if that I'm not going to do something, I don't feel very confident doing. Um, so I think that it in the long run just strengthens your relationships with people. What are some tips that you give people who have to have frequent styling or sort of somewhat out there styling situations um, to avoid damaging their hair or creating like permanent havoc? Um, and I imagine that this is the case with some of the more, you know, extreme looks that get created on the runways. I mean, absolutely. We, we always... People in fashion often joke, you can tell the age of a model or how long a model has been working in an industry by how much hair she has. <laughs> right. Unfortunate, so how, how, do you especially. how do you protect everyone's hair? I mean, every at the end of the day, hair comes, as you as a doctor know, it grows from inside you. It grows from your scalp. And 
the health of your body and the health of your scalp are what truly projects the health of your hair. You can, it's very important to condition and mask and hydrate your hair in every way possible. But before you even go there, it's the most important thing is that you are extremely healthy and hydrated and that you are taking, I'm a big believer in different hair pills and vitamins that like uh, surplus those things. Um, totally, I like take, folate and I biotin. And, I've yeah. taken, yeah, I've been taking Vivascal for like a year. <laughs> um, and, and it's you definitely are, like... <laughs> yeah, it definitely helps you? Yes, no, absolutely. It definitely produces a lot of growth. I was going to say that you have great hair yourself. Um, so <laughs> I wanted you. to ask you, um, for those of you who haven't seen Bryce in real life, you're very handsome and you happen to have this like pretty amazing um mane of you know lustrous blonde hair so um (laughs) can you talk a little bit about how you maintain your own hair or the kind of the pressures of putting your own hair into the world when you're responsible for the hair of so many beautiful people um i mean i'm it's funny i think as most artists the thing when you're focusing on yourself, it's pretty simple. A lot of the times I don't do a lot. Um, I'm, I get my hair colored by Tracy, who I keep speaking of. Um, and I am just a big believer that the shampoo and conditioner that you use be the best that they can be. I, um, I use Moroccan oils, hydrating shampoo, and I use their curl cleansing conditioner and I kind of alternate a few different things with them. But I don't put product in my hair, really. I use things, I use conditioners that are heavy enough and or um, leave a bit of a a product in it almost when you're getting out of the shower and just air dry my hair. I've got very curly hair. I love your hair. It's really awesome. Um, What are the three worst things that people do for their hair that just make you cringe when you see them? Um, I mean... I think that there's just a lot of options out there right now for bleaching and straightening and extensions and people just do too much. Unfortunately, um, I, it, I'm a big fan of like, if, if you need, if you want extensions, things that you can take out at night are far less damaging clip in hair pieces and different kinds. There's lots of different kinds out there, but um, the permanent bonded kinds that are attached to your head while you're sleeping just in the long run, you're, you're doing far more damage than good. Um, I'm not a huge fan of, uh, these keratin Brazilian blowout straightening things, especially if you bleach your hair, the combination of the two tends to be, you have zero integrity left in your hair by the time it's done. Um, but these are all things that are super popular and it's just about kind of picking and choosing what's really important to you. If you, if you have dark curly hair and you want blonde straight hair, you're, I I always say that people look their best when they, I think are being at least somewhat close to what they were born with. If you have very dark curly hair and you think you look your absolute best as a platinum blonde with a straight blowout, I'm going to say nine out of 10 times, I'm going to disagree with you. And I'm going to say that you are never going to have uh, very healthy, shiny hair. 
And if you do, I want to know exactly what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's such good advice, too, because you kind of have to, in life, pick your battles, right? Like, you can have some of the things you want most of the time, but it's hard to get everything at every single second. Yes, it is. And it's... Um, I... Sorry, I lost my train of thought there. I was going to say... um I you I so often get approached by people who are doing so many things to look so different than they would naturally and wanting to know why their hair is dry or what I what they should do to um improve the integrity of their hair and it's funny cuz people don't want to hear the truth. No one wants to hear Just well you should it probably alone. stop bleaching <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're never going to get a bigger fight in your life than trying to get a girl who's blonde to not be blonde. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I believe that because you're kind of known for your famous blondes. Um, <laughs> so what advice do you have for someone who is not super into their hair, but wants to step up their game a little bit and look a little bit more styled and a little bit better and maybe someone who doesn't have the um, time or budget for your services, what's sort of a simple thing that anyone could do to make their hair a little bit better on a day-to-day basis? I mean, I'll start by saying I always tell people I would rather see someone go to a if when it comes to the pricing of a person for color or cut, I would rather see someone go twice a year to get their hair colored in a way that is just like a, a subtle highlight or something that grows out nicely to someone expensive, someone that is known as being great, than to see someone, I mean, twice a year might be a stretch, but you get what I mean, like every every three to four months more than going every eight weeks to someone who is cheaper and may may or may not be as talented. I think it's better to spend your money in less chunks and go for the more capable people. Um, and that goes for cuts as well. Um, I do think on a day-to-day basis, if you have a good haircut, that's going to change everything. That's always the base of what you're working with. Um, I'm very, very into people wearing their natural texture more and more right now. I'm encouraging so many like girlfriends of mine to embrace their curly hair more and more. And really like, um, it's funny cause people, so many girls that you and I both are around are probably haven't even seen their natural texture in five years because everyone right. lives with a blowout at all times. And it's right. one of my, one of my closest friends currently has been this like slave to either a keratin straightening or a blowout for so long. And she, in the last like six, nine months has started to try and embrace her natural curl. And she, now it just looks incredible. It's, it took time to like come back from everything I've been done with it, but I, it's so youthful and flattering and fun. And I feel like it's very modern right now to have that kind of texture and volume. Yeah, and I feel like we're seeing that in the beauty industry as a whole, where there's kind of a more modern concept of beauty that is, um, you know, in a way more accepting, where there are many different ways to be beautiful or have beautiful hair, and it's not all about being a straight platinum blonde. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. 
Okay, so you have this amazing career as a freelance hairstylist. Do you travel the world with all of the most beautiful people there are? Um, but I was curious, just from kind of a business development standpoint and a career trajectory standpoint, what what are some of the biggest setbacks you've faced? And were there any moments where you thought, you know what, I'm going to throw in the towel. This just is not happening for me. <laughs> um, I mean, there's those moments happen probably every five days. <laughs> there's something. <laughs> there's always something that throws you off. But no, um, I, I mean, a huge challenge for me, which is sounds kind of complaining if you're not someone who travels often, but it is it is hard. It is very hard to live your life on a plane like that. Um, I have spent the last, I'm, I'm about to turn 31, and I'd say around 26, I started making myself very, very available to people in any location. I was, I just kind of developed an attitude of, you say jump, I say how high, and I was making myself available in LA and New York and London and Paris and whatever it needed to be to build relationships. Um, and it works. That's really, really like how you get in this industry and get your foot in the door is just, you become that person that people know, like, uh, we're in a pinch and like, I feel like he might be available and he might be willing. Um, and yeah, I mean, developing a personal life inside of that is a real challenge. Um, I haven't had much of one in the last five, six years, but it's been worth it. Um, and I'm getting to a place now where I feel like I've definitely, I can make decisions and I can pick and choose a bit more and I'm getting, I have a bit more of a life the last year or so. Um, what are your, what are your plans for the future in terms of your business? I mean, I just actually am sitting right now in a brand new apartment in LA. I just got um, I moved in yesterday. I have an apartment in New York too. And so that's kind of, I've been going back and forth almost 50, 50 New York, LA for years. Um, but I've always had just really wonderful friends that I've, that have had spare bedrooms and whatnot. But I now finally am, have a proper home in both, which will make a huge difference in my life. Um, and I hope to, I hope to do that for the foreseeable future. I hope to, um, be able to go back and forth, but just at a slightly slower pace than the past, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, I mean, I, um, I've been, there is lots of thoughts of product lines and developing things, and that's definitely a possibility in the future. I, um, I'm not jumping on anything. I really... I think the beauty industry is rather saturated and I really want to make sure that anything I do, I truly think is innovative and interesting and has talking points that I'm passionate about. Totally. Um, well, that's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, someone asked me the other day what, what I was looking for in the next few years. And I just think now more of the same. I'm really feel like I've, hit a stride and I feel super lucky. 
Um, and I'd love to just continue doing what I'm doing right now for a bit. That's so amazing. Well, I have a little bit of a more philosophical question for you. Um, as someone who, who has devoted his life to hair, what do you think it is about hair that is so powerful for women? Because I've read all of these surveys that say that, you know, a woman would rather have great hair than lose 10 pounds. A woman would rather have great hair than, you know, a designer wardrobe. And a woman would rather have great hair than, like, a great nose or a great body or, you know, it's all about the hair. And, um, you know, since the beginning of time, like, the pre-Raphaelites and Rapunzel and, um, you know, there's... David there's and Goliath. So much. And, you know, it's yeah. Yeah. What there's is it so about much the wrapped hair? up in hair? It is um Yeah. People's people's identity is so deeply invested in their hair a lot of times. Um it's really interesting. I I think that it's a I mean, if you think about it, it's the easiest way to change the way someone perceives you is your outer appearance. And obviously cutting, coloring your hair is a slightly less of a commitment than a surgery. And it's just slightly more complicated than buying a new outfit. Um, And I think that it's kind of one of the first things people notice about you. It really, the way you, the way you carry yourself and the way your hair is, tends to say a lot about who you are um, or a lot about at least the, the kind of life you live and the, the, um, the amount of effort you put into it and what your style is. Um, I think there's also a lot of, especially for women, I think there's a lot wrapped up in the perception of youth and hair. I think long, shiny hair, thick, long, shiny hair has always been this uh, vision of usefulness. And so I think that people become enslaved to that a lot. And that's why I do think it's very empowering for people when, when women do decide to cut their hair off, it can be a very um, freeing moment. Um, It's very much shows that you have the confidence to know that you look great that way. And you don't need to have this kind of hallmark card of long golden hair to like show that you feel pretty. Yeah, I think that's so interesting. I have really long hair, and I always have had long hair, and there is a security blanket effect to it where, you know, if I feel like I'm not crazy about my outfit that day or I'm forced to take a picture when I don't really want to, I definitely will focus back on the hair, and I feel like that's something that's so common. that I hear that from everybody. Yeah, I mean... And it's not to say that there isn't people who are absolutely suited to have long, beautiful hair. Um, it's everyone's, there's so many things that look good on so many different people. And I think it's a really great way to express yourself. And there are people who change their hair every three months drastically because that's how they feel that they can kind of renew themselves and start afresh. Yeah. which I'm always fascinated by. It tends to <laughs> tends to be a, a lot of damage at that point, but 
Um, <laughs> and then no. and then that's where you come in to help solve that yeah. problem. What, when you see when you see a person, is it immediately obvious to you like what they could do, what their best hair would be, or how they could live their best hair life? It's funny. I it's people always ask that, and people often, you know, when you meet someone and they find out you're a hairdresser, <laughs> they tend to make some disparaging comment about, oh, like please don't look at my hair. And, and to be honest, I don't. I, if I'm not working, I'm not really looking that closely. I mean, it would have to that's, be either. That's exactly how I feel about my work too. I'm where sure. Are like, exactly. Hey, are you? Are you? Are you just looking at everyone's faces, criticizing them constantly? And I'm like, no. I'm no, just we're exhausted. <laughs> no, no one's. No one's trying to work when they're not working. Um, so funny. I mean, you have to have either pretty incredible hair or pretty shockingly bad hair for to to rock me out of my off work coma. That's so funny. Well, Bryce, this has been so fun and amazing talking to you. Um oh, good. I really appreciate you taking the time. I wanted to close by asking you a question that we ask all of the guests on Beauty Bosses. Um and that is a little bit of your personal thoughts on what beauty means to you and what being a boss means to you. Since you work in a beauty field and you're your own boss, um, let's hear what you have to say. Okay. Um, I'm going to start with being a boss. Um, I, For me, I think being a boss is being someone that people respect and being someone that people being someone who is kind, being someone who people enjoy being around, not just, not just because of what you have achieved or what you're capable of doing for someone. I, the people who I work with that I respect the most um, are the people who achieve their goals in a gracious manner and are, are, truly uh, wonderful people to be around. I think that there's a lot of ways to achieve success. And I think that there are less ways to, to achieve success in that manner and to go about things with that kind of grace and humility. Um, and I think sometimes it's not necessarily the easier road. So those, I, those are the people that I respect the most and, um, and I think that is what I would call boss. Yeah, I really like that. That's well said. And how about what does beauty mean to you? Hmm. I mean, beauty is so many things. I think, I think a very, I think the obvious answers for me is some, somewhat of what I said of a boss. Beauty is kindness and humility and grace. But I will say, uh, a slightly more interesting answer for me. I I have always been very um, enthralled by the history that people leave behind and the mark you make and the imagery that goes with it. That's what I've... The imagery is what's inspired me so much. I, Looking back at old photos of people's lives who were both glamorous but achieved things and made their mark um so for i guess for me beauty is a life well lived that's so nice i really like that (laughs) beauty is a life well lived 
said Bryce Scarlett. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. And this was one of our best podcasts ever. And um, I really look forward to meeting you when you're next in New York in person. Yes, no, absolutely. We we would do need to sit down. Um, Thank you so much for having me.